Hey, if you have a Bible today, let's look at Psalm 112. I want to talk about the benefits of the devotion to the Lord from the perspective of Psalm 112. Ladies and gentlemen, Psalm 112 it captures perfectly in these 10 voices, 10 voices, 10 verses, what it looks like to be a person that gives your life to the Lord. And just, I just want to bring some attributes here. I'm going to read out of the New King James first and then uh, bear with me as I read out of the Passion. Again, some of you are familiar with the New King James and notice the rhythm of this. It says, praise the Lord, and I'll just read the 10 verses. It says, praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears or honors the Lord and delights greatly in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty upon the earth. The generation, the upright, will be blessed. Verse 3, wealth and riches will be in his house. His righteousness endures forever. Now, this is talking about men and women here. Now, notice that. It says, unto the upright arises light in the darkness. They are, gra they are gracious and full of compassion and righteous. A good man or a good woman deals graciously and lends. They will guide their affairs or their situations with discretion or wisdom. Surely they will never be shaken. The righteous will be in everlasting remembrance. They will not be afraid of evil tidings. Their heart is steadfast. Notice that. Trusting in the Lord. Verse number eight. It says, their heart is established. They will not be afraid until they see the desire, their desire upon their enemies. Verse number nine, they've dispersed abroad. They've given to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Their lives will be exalted with honor. The wicked shall see it and be grieved. They'll gnash with their teeth and melt away, and the desire of the wicked shall perish. Let me just read out the Passion Translation, and then I'm going to use the Passion Translation just to share a couple of things. This is good, too. If you don't have the Passion Translation, I'd encourage you to get that version. It's just another version that just brings another viewpoint. It sort of accelerates and uses some different phrasing that sometimes the New King James doesn't. The reason I use the New King James, if it was good enough for the Apostle Paul, it's good enough for me. <laughs> I just had to throw that in there. The Apostle Paul was, anyway, <laughs> he wrote it before the New King James. The New King James, as a drummer, as a musician, has a sense of rhythm to it. It has a cadence to it. And that's the reason why I use the New King James. And uh, I grew up using the, New King, uh, the King James and the New King James. And it has a sense of rhythm. But now the passion has a sense of clarity. Listen to it. It says, shout, I'm just going to read the 10 verses quickly. It says, shout in celebration of the praise to the Lord. Everyone who loves the Lord and delights in him will cherish his words and be blessed beyond expectation. Their descendants will be prosperous and influential. Every generation of, God, of his godly lovers will experience his favor. Great blessings and wealth fill their houses of the wise, for their integrity endures forever. Listen to verse number four. Even if darkness overtakes them, sun, sunrise brilliance will come bursting through because they are gracious to others, so tender and true. Life is good, listen to this. For one who is generous and charitable, conducting their affairs with honesty and truth, their circumstances will never, never shake them, and others will never forget their example. Listen to this. They will not live in fear or dread of what may come, for their hearts are firm. I like that. Ever secure in their faith, steady and strong, they will not be afraid, but, when, but will calmly face their every foe until they all go down in defeat. Isn't that awesome? That's something you ought to, I encourage you to read Psalm 12. Make it an anthem. Make it an anthem of your life. Look at, notice the next verse, verse 9. Never stingy, always generous to those in need. Their lives of, their lives of influence and honor will never be forgotten, for, those were, for they were full of good deeds. Verse number 10. But the wicked take one look at the life lived like this. Hello. <laughs> and forget and grit their teeth in anger, not understanding their bliss. The wicked slink away speechless in the darkness that falls where hope dies and all other dreams fade away to nothing at all. 
Hey, I'm going to share with you five areas that I see in this. Beginning, first of all, in verse number two, it says, talking about children, it says, their descendants will be prosperous and influential. So the first area I want to talk about is your children. When you see a person that's devoted to God, one of the things that is a blessing to their life or a blessing can be a blessing to the life to the devoted person of the Lord is their children. However, we have a responsibility to our children. First of all, is to pray and speak God's word over your children. That's, that's the key thing. Number two is to call them what they should be, not what they are. So many times people are guilty of, you know, saying things about their children and calling them what they are when they really need to be calling them what they could or should be, in my opinion. Of course, uh, when Allison was born, uh, I'll never forget taking her to Alabama the first initial trips. And, uh, man, she was a screamer and just just had sort of a temper. And, and I was to a point where I was tempted, you know, to sort of agree with my family. Well, she's going to be a, quote, Jacobs. That's my last name. So then sometimes there's tempers there. And you know what? I decided about her. I said, I'm not going to have that. I'm going to speak differently over Allison. I'm going to call her peaceful. And yet at the same time, I mean, she was definitely not lining up with the words coming out of my mouth at that time. But I was not moved by that. I kept calling her peaceful. I kept calling her calm. I refused to call her agitated. And you, that's important, parents and grandparents. We do, we've got to declare and speak over them what we believe they should be and what they want they should be in God. And uh, you look at Allison today and all these years later, and she's not that. She's the opposite of what she could have been or what she started out to be. She was high-strung at that moment. And some babies are, some children are. So what are you going to do? Are you going to curse them or are you going to bless them? You say, my words are sort of my words. Listen, words are powerful, ladies and gentlemen. Words will snare you and get you into a hole of damage if you keep th saying words out of your mouth that are contradictory to the Word of God, such as the word, I can't and I, I won't, or I can't do this, or I won't do this, or I won't even try, or this particular child or situation, is they're never going to change. Listen, I, I mean, I came to that place that I was going to make, make, make the decision early that I was going to bless my children with my words, not curse them. And I think the, the Psalms... Psalm 127.3 says that children are a heritage from the Lord. Sometimes some parents say children, especially in the early days, are a, are a you know, not a blessing, but a burden. <laughs> and, and I understand there's responsibility. I understand there's frustration. But you just never know when a child's going to turn out in the right direction. But you've got to add your faith and hope to that. But if you're just continually rehearsing the negative and looking at what you see, I mean, you know, I didn't become this man of God that I am till I was 19 years old. And uh, there's this time of adolescence. There's this time, as I call the young and dumb years, that children will eventually figure things out. But that's why you got to be steady. That's why you need to be consistent with your words because you just never know how God will honor that in the long run. Maybe it's not comfortable at this time, but in times... As it moves forward, people can change for the better. And a man or woman who's devoted to God will have this blessing upon them. Their children, when it's all said and done, will be prosperous and influential if you'll do your part at the beginning. And again, I know that sometimes we get impatient. I know that sometimes children can absolutely run the wrong way, but that doesn't mean that you're supposed to yield to that wrong direction. Stay steady, stay true, and God will turn that heart and make things right. Number two, financial stewardship. Notice what it says here in verse number three. I think this is important. Great blessing and wealth fills the house of the wise. Their integrity endures forever. And I think that's so important because people 
need to see one of the things that Jesus said in Luke 6, 38. He said, be a giver. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. Is that about money? Well, yes, it's about money to a certain degree. But there's other aspects of giving. There's giving with words. There's giving with kindness. There's giving with thoughtfulness. I mean, one of the greatest two words that can ever come out of your mouth, in my opinion, is the word thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So many times people are not grateful. People are not thankful. They're always wanting and never appreciative of what they have. Listen, I'm appreciative to what I have. I'm thankful for what I have. I'm thankful for what God has given me. Of course there's things I want as, as more. But listen to this. Money in the hand of a giving person produces good for everybody. Money in the hand of a giving person produces good for everybody. And again, when you got to be a giver, be a giver, not just a taker. If there's no outflow, if there's no helping others, that's one of the beautiful things about our church family in being debt-free. That Yes, we're paying for things that we're building. We're paying for all the responsibilities of operation. But there's also being a part of our local community and other areas of ministry where we're giving and helping people and providing for people. Sometimes it's not just money. It's other resources. We don't necessarily pay people's rent or things like that. But sometimes I'll do everything I can to help someone either A, find a job, fix their car, or help them find a better car because I know if they have a decent form of transportation, example, a Toyota. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Uh, I like Toyota, Honda, whatever that's dependable to get you to your job, to get you where you need to be. That's a good source of your foundation to make money. And again, we want you to be good stewards. We have really wise people in our church family. We have many CPAs in this church family that can help you in planning and taking the long run, the long version of your life to the extent of, of learning how to be disciplined and saved and being a good steward of your money because Satan wants you to remain in the cycle of debt and borrowing. He does. He wants to get you in bondage to that and to the point where you can't be a giver. You can't be a, a helper. And one of the other things that I believe is so important that God wants to bless you because you are a person of generosity. I mean, sometimes you're in a place where you're at the grocery store or something or at a, a situation where you can pay for someone's meal or, or just bless someone. I, I was last night just going to get Sheila something. She liked this particular thing. I was just in this little drive-thru. I didn't really care about going there myself, but I did it for her and because uh, she was doing a lot of stuff and helping me and and a lot of things, and uh, I just gave this guy a large tip because, I mean, again, first of all, I appreciate his kindness and his professionalism and the way he talked on the speaker and the way he handled himself when I got the food, and I just wanted to honor him, and man, it just really did something for him, did something for me, because you had the ability to do that. I have a minister, man, that I have a deep peer minister that I look up greatly to, and he goes to every meal he goes out to, he gives what the cost of that meal is in a tip. So if he has a $50 meal, it's a $50 tip. If he has a $100 meal, it's a $100 tip. And uh, the certain restaurants he goes to, they love to see him coming through the door. <laughs> Why? Because he's a generous guy. He's not a stingy wingy, okay? And just, you know, just not doing anything. You say, well, Pastor Brian, I had rude service the other day. I'm not going to give a tip. Hey, be merciful. Be graceful. Be merciful and be graceful. One time when I was working for Jerry Savelle, this lady, man, she was in this foul mood. She was serving like 10 of us at this table. I mean, she was just mad and throwing stuff and grumpy and all this kind of stuff. And uh, finally, I just uh, 
you know, the other guy said, we're not going to tip her and all this kinds of stuff. And finally, I just, I just sort of tracked her down. I said, ma'am, I said, is there something going on with you? And I just, I just I, you know, I can see you're agitated tonight and all this kind of stuff. And, and she said, well, I'm not trying to play the sympathy card. She, I just want to let you know that one of my children's in the hospital right now, and I can't go see them. My boss will not let me off my job until my clock, so I'm having to stay here and deal with this. So, you know what? I said, hey, we'll, we'll, you go on and leave our table and go. And I gave her a large amount of money. Because you don't know what people are going through. Help people out. Help people out. As a matter of fact, I gave her my card to the ministry I was working on, and she sent me a, a note later, uh, actually sent me a letter. These are back in the days of letters. Can you believe that? We did letters back then <laughs> compared to emails and texts. Anyway, she was so crying and gracious that we did that to her, and she committed her life to an even greater relationship with the Lord because she saw Jesus in us, all because I gave her a $100 bill. A $100 bill. Well, what, what's the big deal about $100? But $100 impacted that lady, consequently touched her children and her life and her family, and then she got a part of a local church there in Augusta, Georgia, and the rest is history, all because somebody took the time to quit focusing on themselves and think about somebody else. Hello, that's pretty good preaching. Instead of it all be about me and what I need, and I need my food, and I'm hungry. I know you're hungry. We were hungry too. We just did a meeting for 5,000 people that night setting up all this arena and we were hungry and we were going to a restaurant and it was late and it's sometimes you're just tired and don't want to fool with it. But I'm telling you what, the seed to be able to do that. But if I didn't have the money and if I didn't have the right attitude, it'd just been a wasted night and never anything of impact. But ladies and gentlemen, God can use you to say the right thing, give it the right time and the right word. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a $100 bill. It's just the fact that you're a good steward. You give generously, as it says right here. And I promise you, as you give generously, God will give generously back to you. My house is filled with treasures. I mean treasures. It's not just because of the furniture. There's things in my house. There's antique furniture. There's antique furniture that my parents have that belongs to me, that's treasures to me, and things like that, things that are, are, are just priceless because I truly want to be a man devoted to God, not because I want to do it for, to get something, because I just want to do it because I want to honor God. Anyway, moving right along, the next thing is relationships. Notice what it says in verse number four. It says, even if darkness overtakes them, sunrise brilliance will come bursting through because they're gracious to others, so tender and true. Life is good for one who's generous and charitable, conducting affairs with honesty and truth. Ladies and gentlemen, there's some, I think about writing a book like this, about this subject, because it's so important to me. But I have coined this phrase, forgive, forget, and focus forward. If you don't purpose to forgive people in your life that hurt you, you are going to stay messed up. You're going to stay messed up emotionally because bitterness will destroy you inevitably. That's pretty good preaching this morning. Being quick to forgive and repent of something that, that, where you've wronged someone or someone has wronged you brings peace in your life. Holding something against somebody will never, ever help you in the long run. You don't know what they did to me, Pastor Brian. Listen, I'm not denying what they did to you. I'm talking about the grace of God for them to forgive you and for you to move on with your life. I mean, if you're going to constantly, most people, what they do, instead of forgiving someone, they'll suppress their life and they'll look for other things to bring joy in their life. Listen, life is good as far as sometimes buying a new car, man, that'll make you feel good for about 60 days till the payment comes in, right? A new house is the same way. 
okay? New, uh, new clothes are the same way. It feels good, okay? I mean, going out to eat makes you feel good. But, you know, sometimes life is not just about these things that we do just temporarily. Peace and joy is priceless. And when you forgive and you forget, I mean, my mother and I were dealing with some people. I contacted some family members the other night that my mother didn't want to contact to let them know my dad had passed away. And I'm like, Mother, we got to tell people what's going on. She said, well, I don't like that person and all this. I said, Mother, you know what? I don't care what they did to you as far as the fact that what you, they did to you hurt you and the fact that it, you think that they're not, you know, should be communicated. I, I have all the compassion, Mother, about that. But at the same time, I'm going to be a nice person. I'm going to communicate with people. I'm going to reach out to people. I'm going to be kind to people. If they've done me wrong, that's between me and the Lord. But I am not going to be a grumpy old bear. I am not going to be a bitter old whatever. Because life to me is not about holding something in. And, and, you know, well, they did this to me 25 years ago. And that's what she said. They did this back there in 1980. It was literally 1989. I said, Mother, it is 2022. We've got to let it go. Long silence there. She said, well, I guess you're right. Well, no, I'm not just right. It's the right thing to do for you emotionally. Anyway, um, she finally consented. And even though she didn't like it the next day, she owned up to it. Praise the Lord. <laughs> you said, Pastor Brian, you scolding your mother? Not scolding my mother. I'm just trying to say it's not worth it to you or I or to my mother to hold resentment against people. And to, to, to usually, well, Pastor Brian, it was horrible what they did. They, they said something to me. Uh, listen, I understand what they said to you, but listen, if you do not forgive, if you do not forget, and if you don't focus forward, Jesus said you will not be forgiven in Matthew 6, 14 and 15. He said that, not me. Anyway, moving right along. The next thing is emotions. Over in, over in this Psalm in 6 and 7, it says this, life is good. I'm sorry, their circumstances will never shake them and others will never forget their example. This is what you want set up your life. They will not live in fear or dread of what may come for their hearts are firm, ever secure in their faith. What a testimony that you're not living in dread. You're not living in depression and anxiety. You say, Pastor Brian, those things are out there. I know that they're out there, but you've got to develop healthy emotions to when you respond and react to that. It'll come upon you. I mean, I've had my chance to do that. I mean, this week was like, wow, yes, I had the ability to prepare for it. No one's prepared for when someone dies, but I was preparing for it, and I prepared for it gracefully. I prepared for it to say, you know, I'm not going to be depressed about this. I'm not going to get to the place where it devastates me. I realize for some people when death happens suddenly to a family member, that can happen as far as how quick that happens to someone. It can be extremely hurting. But you've got to move past that and say, Lord, you're my source, especially if that person is a believer. When that person is a believer, then you see yourself in your life differently than, than people that don't have the Lord. There's hope. There's another life. One of the things that's beautiful about this week, I don't see my dad just necessarily in the earth anymore as far as, you know, what these memories are good, pictures are good, but I'm seeing him in heaven. I'm seeing what he looks like now. I'm looking at pictures when he was 30 years old. That's the way I'm seeing him now, young and strong and healthy. He was young and strong and healthy all most of my life until that stroke. But what, what I'm saying here emotionally is you've got to see yourself how others see you. And look at yourself. And if you're portraying a woe is me and I'm just, just you know, I'm just never going to make it type attitude. Listen, that, that's, not, that's not putting faith in God. That's not trusting him. 
I'm trusting him for his peace. I'm trusting him for his protection. I'm trusting him in who he is. I thank God that I can go do this funeral based on the fact that I'm trusting the Lord, that heaven is real, that my life in this earth is counting right now for the glory of God. His life counted for the glory of God. And we're going to go on and someday we're going to be together. My last words and conversations when my dad was talking about, you know, Jesus and our eternal life together, loving him, trusting him and living our lives for him. And about this church, that was my last conversations with him. And we'll pick that up on the other side. This life is not the only life. And I purpose to be healthy emotionally. I refuse to be a person that is discouraged and, and just so self-pity reigns all over me. And all I think about is myself. And all I think about is my needs. Man, I've done my best to go get involved in other people's needs this week. As hard as this week was emotionally. I've checked on people, I've called people, I've texted people, I saw how people are doing, dealing with COVID, dealing with this, dealing with that. Other friends of mine, a particular friend of mine that I played guitar with, his, his situation turned for the worst this week. It was terrible. He's the same age as I, diagnosed with cancer and has only had given one week to live. Man, I reached out and reached into his family and to his young son and encouraged them the best way I can. Man, I hate what is happening in that situation. But the grace of God, the love of God, and how I respond. Notice what it says. Steady and strong, they will not be afraid. They will calmly face their every foe until all go down in defeat. Death is not a victor over my life. Death is not a victor over a believer's life. Because we have the promise of eternal life. Those who don't know the Lord passed away have no hope. It is terrible. When a person comes out of that body and that spirit leaves the Lord and they don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, woe to them. Life absolutely gets worse than it's ever been because hell is real. Just as much as heaven is real, hell, heaven, hell is real. But notice what it says here. They're never stingy, always generous to those in need, living their lives to be influential and honored and never forgotten. They are full of good deeds. Isn't that awesome? That's what I want for you. That is my cry, my passion to develop yourself emotionally. Listen to what it says in James 1. James 1, 19. Watch this. Excuse me for preaching today, but hallelujah, I just want to preach if you don't mind. James 1, 19. Notice what it says here. Listen to this. This is, this is an anthem to the man and a woman who's devoted to God. James 1, 19. Check this out. And I think you ought to learn to live this way. I sure in price. It says, so it says, my beloved brethren, let every person be swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to wrath. Listen to what it says in the Passion Translation. I like this even better. Just bear with me now as far as emotionally. These are things to keep your life in check. I mean, you may not have that problem here because we're in an environment that's, that's better. But when you go to your job tomorrow, when you're around things that could be a pressure zone, what do you do? It says here in verse number 19, James 1, 19, listen to this. This is in the Passion Translation. Listen to this. It says, be quick to listen, but slow to speak and slow to become angry because human anger is never a legitimate tool to promote God's righteous purpose. My dad was sort of like George Patton, man. He'd say anything at any time. One of the things I learned from him, that I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be slow to speak. I'm going to be slow to respond. And the older I get, the better I do that and practice that. Mr. Anderson's good about that. He's quick not to say just whatever he feels. Others of you, and sometimes we have to guard on that. But when you emotionally say that I'm going to be a person devoted to honor God, then I'm going to refrain from saying what I think. 
I'm going to refrain from giving my opinion. I'm going to refrain from saying what I know I should say, but yet at the same time, I better wait to say it in a better way and not send that text or that Facebook note out of emotion. Boy, I'm preaching really good this morning. Okay, <laughs> finally, I better go back to this. I am really all over the place today as far as this. I tell you what, I'm sort of excited about a man and a woman devoted to God as far as this psalm says. Psalm 112, let me close with this. And uh, notice what it's back to is what this last point, that your life is fulfilling God's purpose. This is so good. Oh, this is so good. Listen, it says, for it says that there, watch this. It says, never stingy, always generous to, to those in need. Uh, I've read this before. Let me read it again. Their lives of influence and honor will never be forgotten, for they were full of good deeds. How do you do that? You find yourself in God's purpose. Ladies and gentlemen, every single one of us have a calling from God. I saw this even more clear. I was, I was thinking about my life. I was thinking about my dad's life. I was thinking about your life. And, you know, your life mission, your life purpose is so important to God. He did not put you here just to go through the motions. He gave you a distinct gifting, a calling, uh, uh, actually something that you can do that nobody else can do. And what is that? If you don't discover that, if you don't go into life through that, you're going to stand before the Lord and he's not going to judge you on your life as far as, you know, the things you did, as far as little sins and all that. Yes, we're all accountable to that. He's going to ask you, what did I do with what I gave you? And if you don't respond to that now, that's going to be a sad day because God's going to show you all the lives you could have impacted. When he gave you a divine purpose, that's what it says here. And let me just show you this. I found this, I read this a hundred times, but a thousand times, but listen to this in, in, in Timothy, 1 Timothy 1, 9, talking about God's purpose and, le and legacy. Listen to this. This is awesome. 1 Timothy chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. Check this out. Now listen to this. This is powerful. It says, he saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our own works, but according to his own purposes and grace, which he gave to us in Jesus Christ before time began. Notice that. Before time began, there was a purpose given by God through Jesus Christ for you and I. Isn't that awesome? I found mine. I have found my place. Being the senior pastor of Metroplex Family Church, I'm in my life purpose. But so many people live their lives and never find that. They never discover that. Moses discovered it when he was in his latter part of his years, nearly 80 years old. Colonel Sanders, I think it's fascinating. If you ever study his life, Sanders, everybody likes Colonel Sanders' chicken. Anyway, he found his life purpose at the end of his life. And he's made some pretty good chicken, did he not? I, how many of us enjoyed KFC, all right? I mean, he was later in life when he found that and discovered that. And look what it's done. How many buckets of chicken have been eaten by the body of Christ and those in NASCAR? All right, I'm, uh, rest my case, all right? <laughs> it's true. You say, well, that's just chicken. Listen, Dr. Billy Graham says, listen, you can, food will make you feel good and touch your soul. And if you touch their soul through food, you can touch their spirit for faith in God. How about that? Thank God for Colonel Sanders. My point with all that is, is they found something that is a living legacy. And ladies and gentlemen, when you find that, when you find that one thing that you enjoy doing, that one thing that drives you, listen, other things will line themselves up in your life. You'll discover your plan, your purpose, your passion, even if it's a senior age, even if you have to enter into another career. 
my dear friend Doug Weed, and boy, it's been difficult for me. Doug Weed passed away, and my dad one month apart, two of the most politically influential men on my life and spiritually all in one month, but Jesus is Lord and heaven is real. But one of the things that Doug so beautifully, time after time we talked about it, he was at President uh, Governor Reagan's kitchen cabinet meetings back there in the early, uh, late 70s. And him and, Pres uh, him and Governor Reagan at the time and several of the key people would sit around the table talking about planning for that run in, in 1980 when he ran for president. But President Reagan would often sit there and say, listen, I have found my second purpose in life, gentlemen, and that is to be the president of the United States. I believe God has called me to be president of the United States. And I thank you for your helping me. I thank you for assembling this team. And in 1980, even though I've run before, I'm going to run this time. And I believe I'm going to win. And I'm going to defeat Jimmy Carter. And he did. My point with all that, he found his purpose. He found his life assignment again, even though he loved being an actor, even though he loved being governor, even though he loved being a public figure, he found his real purpose, he said, at that kitchen table in the latter years of his life. And then he ran for president and he finally won. And in my opinion to this point, nothing against anyone else, but to my opinion and to this point, of course, somebody can take his place. To me, in my lifetime, Ronald Reagan's been the greatest president in my lifetime as far as accomplishments, demeanor, personality, and faith in God, and faith, of course, in America and our great heritage. And all that's because a man found God's divine purpose for his life and kept re-energizing his life over and over and over and, and kept revitalizing his life because he said, listen, the longer I live, the better I get. The longer I live, the more people I can reach, and the more I can reach, the better I can do, and left this life at 93, even though he suffered from dementia, he left this life with a legacy, all because of faith in God. He truly was a man of Psalm 112. You say, well, Pastor Brian, that was Ronald Reagan. No, you and I had that same kind of drive inside of us to be the president of our lives, to make the impact these people have. And I want to talk more about that in the days ahead. Listen, let's pray about this. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you so much that many years ago in you, there was a calling upon our lives to be devoted to you, to honor you, and to live to you and have a legacy that glorifies you. I pray over every person here, Lord, if there's anything in our lives that dishonor you in any area concerning anything, help us to get out of ourselves and to place ourselves in you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your communion elements, those at home and those watching, if you could get those... Uh, and join us. I think you will greatly benefit from it. If you don't have an element or uh, this little cup, just raise your hand. They'll be glad to service you. Take those out and just hold on to them for a second. And if you can't tear that, look to your neighbor and they will help you tear that. <laughs> okay. Sometimes they're hard to do. And uh, mine is hard to do. No, no, no profanity in the room as you're trying to get that. Okay. No, I was just kidding. So... Just get that little cup out. For those at home, you can use grape juice, uh, Gatorade, whatever. I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend any alcoholic beverages, okay? So, <laughs> seriously. I'll never forget one time I was traveling and um, they had communion like we're having now and they gave me this big goblet. <laughs> I think John, they gave me this big goblet of juice and I thought, okay. So anyway, I said, okay. The pastor said, why don't you do communion for us? And so I did and I grabbed the elements and Anyway, we were praying, and I looked at that, and I said, man, this smells pretty strong. I could smell it anyway. 
And uh, so I said, okay, I was sort of thirsty. I was preaching and I did the elements and I grabbed that thing and it was, man, it was a bitter wine. Oh my gosh. And burned. Anyway, I'll tell you what. Anyway, I was feeling good after the service. So praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I drank the whole thing. <laughs> so Anyway, so uh, hallelujah. But uh, praise the Lord. Seriously, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says to examine ourselves before we take of communion and remember the body and blood of the Lord Jesus. I just have one thing on my heart before we close this service. You know, the person I've talked about in Psalm 12, the key to all this is your words. And if you've been saying things you shouldn't say, then I'm just asking you today to stop it, okay? Just stop saying those things. You don't need to express yourself with fear or worry or doubt or unbelief or even frustration. We can all have those things come upon us. Listen, frustration is frustration. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with being direct. There's nothing wrong with being, you know, forthright with your words. If you do it in love and you do it in passion, people will receive it. But you got to come to a place where you got to operate in peace about your words and peace that you're, you're saying the right things because words are powerful. And each day you keep rehearsing fear-filled words and, and words that are hurting you and hurting others, you're, you're damaging your life. And I just want you to just remember that Jesus not only died to save your soul and body right now for this life and the next, but he also purposed to give you a healthy emotions, a healthy you. And a healthy you starts with the words that come out of your mouth. And if your words are based on fear, your words are based on things that are contrary to this book and the devoted life you should have, then I just want you to just say, Lord, help me. As a matter of fact, I just feel strongly we ought to pray that before we take these elements today. Let's all say this. Say, Lord Jesus, put a watch over my mouth. Help me to speak by faith, not by fear, to forgive and to forget, to release people in love and to walk forward believing you for the best not only in my life but in the life of others if there's anything I've said that has been dishonorable bitter or hurting or grieving to you I repent in Jesus name so take that precious, that, that element right there, the blood, break it. Lord Jesus, right now we receive your body that was broken. Let's eat together in the name of Jesus. And right now we hold this cup up before you and we thank you for your precious blood. We receive not only your body, but we receive your blood. Let's drink together in Jesus' name. Thanking you for your mercy. Thanking you for your grace. In Jesus' name. Amen. Our ushers will be there and help you with those cups again. Thank you for being here at Metroplex Family Church. Thank you again for all your kind words of support and encouragement. I deeply appreciate it. I know Sheila does. And in behalf of my mother and my family, thank you so much for all the things that have been said this week. Hey, listen, I want to encourage you concerning Psalm 112 to read this psalm and to, to really grasp hold it and see yourself in this chapter. It's 10 verses. And see yourself, see your life, see your legacy. See yourself as the way God sees you. And again, if there's areas of your life you need to work on, hey, listen, let's work on them. Let's get better at it. Okay? I love the song by Michael Jackson. Don't know if necessarily where Michael Jackson was spiritually, but he had a song called The Man in the Mirror. And I think it's an appropriate song for all of us, the person in the mirror, 
to look in the mirror and see yourself as others are seeing you. Think about what you're saying to others and how people are responding and reacting. And you know, again, kindness and thoughtfulness and the discipline to restrain yourself sometimes in the words you speak are never, never wrong things to do. I know we want to get frustrated, and I know we want to give a piece, people a piece of our minds. <laughs> I understand that. I feel that way sometimes too. But at the same time, I think it's best to choose the road of love because love never fails. And grace is greater than bitterness and anxiety that comes from just holding something in and being mad at someone and not forgiving them. I mean, I understand my own dad and his court situation and how he, um, you know, was accused of something he didn't do. But my mother held it in more harshly than he did. But after that court case and after that, and as a matter of fact, one of his friends was telling me about uh, a uh, very powerful politician friend of my dad's who'd paid for, my mother was concerned not only about my dad's reputation, but she was concerned about all the legal uh, court cost of that. You know, it costs to defend yourself, even if you're innocent. But anyway, there was a lot of money that was spent, and, you know, my parents were like, wow, this is going to cost a lot of money. We hired the best attorneys. And I'll never forget, my dad went to a dinner with this friend of ours and uh, just went to dinner with him and a couple other men. And um, my dad didn't say anything about the court case. He just was moving on with his life. But my mother was, you know, constantly, this was like six weeks after we got all these attorney bills, my dad said, well, just pay it out and get it done. And um, I'll never forget, that, I'll never forget that Saturday night. He went and this man put an envelope on the table of cash and paid for all the attorney fees, wiped out all the attorney debt and paid my mother and daddy back all they'd put in personally, all in one gift at one moment. And, uh, and you know one of the reasons why I think that happened? Sure went on my mother's behalf because she was mad. <laughs> but it's because my dad walked away from it and gave it to God in his own way and said, there's nothing else I can do about it. I know I was innocent. I know it was political. And I can't do anything about it. I'm just going to walk away and live my life. And again, the person that accused my dad was caught and all that. I mean, you know, there was justification there in, in, in the papers and in the press. But I mean, there was this financial responsibility and that was big. There's a lot of money, a lot of money. But I tell you what, when you walk away and give it to God, God always gives it back to you. And a person called me this week and talked about that, how my dad responded and reacted to that. He said, you know, I really thought your dad was going to go the other way. I thought he was going to be bitter, bitter, mad, and actually launch a campaigns against these people against him. And he could have done that. We would have supported him. But your dad completely walked away, never would talk about it. I said, it was really the grace of God because he said, not only did he do it that way, I did too. And look what God did. He wiped out the bill, took care of everything, and the legacy was restored. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you what, trust God with what you're going through. He maybe at, the, at that moment doesn't seem like he's moving, but you give him some time, he'll move, and he'll take care of the situation. And 25 years later, as time moves forward, it gets even better because God's worthy to be trusted, worthy to be depended on. And by the way, he restores things better than they were when they were originally broke. It's pretty amazing how he does that, Jonathan. I'm amazed at that. And I give him all the glory and honor because only he can do that if you let him. If you try to do it in your own self, it never works. But in him, he's worthy of letting him to change the situation. And I go this week to celebrate a life and legacy that had his faults, had his failures, but things like that, God completely turned around. 
and gave us the victory because we trusted him and I gave it all to him in Jesus' name.